0: Today is October sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. The title of today's sermon is "East Side Story." Uh huh. Yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna do all the East Side stuff for you right now. But we're gonna talk about an East Side story here. Um, one thing that we always commit to you as a church is this: is that we're preaching from a place of what God has been speaking to us about most recently. We don't have some office that assigns to us. Uh, what we are to preach, we do not look at a calendar and figure out based on um, surveys and uh, polls what we should teach on in a certain time of year, uh, February, we are not going to do a, a relationship series just because it's February, that's just not how this works, we're going to speak to you based on what God is speaking to us and I want I get to, I'm so excited today that I get to share with you uh, a little bit, the truth is, is what God shared with, with me this week takes far too long to accomplish what we're, with what, the time that we have today. But I'm going to share with you a little bit of what God has shared with me this week. And I trust Him that it will be a blessing to you. Turn to John chapter 10. Say there when you're there. John chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 1. Many of you in here may, uh, you will, whether you go into the prisons and you preach, whether you will be a pastor or a missionary one day, whatever the Lord has for you, Let me, let me tell you the, the journey that I got here. On Monday night at Foundations, at uh, Pastor Eric's house. Wait, well, at my house. <laughs> ah, at our house. There you go. <laughs> i got to get used to saying this. Uh, uh, Pastor Eric was doing an incredible teaching out of Exodus. We were talking about um, the table of showbread, the very presence of God, the, the bread of the face of God, and the menorah. As we were studying that, we thought about the tribal and, and camp around the Ark of God's Presence. We're actually going to go back to this idea that we studied on uh, Monday night. We actually revisited it on Wednesday. How many of you were here on Wednesday? Okay. On Yom Kippur, we brought in Bubba and Buford. All right. We had a few goats to explain to everyone what the Az Azel is in Scripture how that it was to be taken away. Incredible teachings. If you haven't been here for that, you need to go back and listen to those. But this is where this started for me. As we were studying on Monday night, refreshed through Wednesday night, my heart leapt, in, uh, leapt to John chapter 10, and let's start reading in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Everybody say a thief, thief. And, a and a robber. You know what the Greek word for thief there? It's kleptis, like a kleptomaniac, right? It's the same word. It's a, that person is a thief or a robber. What's the difference? Either way, you're going to get something stolen from you, correct? A thief, the, the, um, the distinction here is that a thief is going to come in and do it without you being aware. The goal is uh, subversion. You're not going to know that it happened. The robber, you're going to know that it happened. There's a violence that takes place, and they rob something from you. Okay. But anyone who climbs in by any other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate, everybody say the gate, gate. is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. Interesting. Opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Our Lord calls us by name. Far too many things happen in our society where we want to do very blanket kind of things. We want to have a very open, a very large funnel. I've been a part of places and they literally describe how to get people into church as the large end of a funnel. We want to get as many people in as we can. I serve a God who calls you by name. In our church, we actually have the opposite. If you're here today, it's because someone personally invited you and you came. We do not spend thousands of dollars on marketing ploys because we think that it should be the opposite. There should be actually a very narrow way to get in and you can grow in the Lord and and grow in your freedom as time goes on. Not the opposite. We hope that you like us enough that you'll stay as we kind of tighten the reins and hope that one day that you can find the narrow gate. That's not the way that we're going to do this as a church. If that means we never grow beyond this, praise God. Because what we don't want to do is come in by any other method, by any other gate. We're not going to climb over the wall and get in and call ourselves shepherds to you. We're going to say, here's the gate. Verse four, when he has brought all of his own, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. That's what our shepherd does. He goes on ahead of us. And his sheep follow him. There are no qualifiers there. His sheep follow him not will follow him, maybe perhaps they might kind of sort of, we hope that they follow him. His sheep follow him. How do you know if you're a real sheep of the great shepherd? You will follow him. Amen. If you are not following him, you're not a sheep. In fact, they will run away, uh, I'm sorry, uh, because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. Never. The true church of God never follows a stranger, no matter how pretty their smile is. No matter how many millions of followers they may have on Twitter, Facebook, TV, whatever it may be across the world, the true church of God never follows a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. How quickly, how quickly can you listen to someone and tell whether they're following the same shepherd that you are or not? It should be a very, it should be a pretty quick thing. Oh, brother, we don't want to judge. Let's just take judging out for a second because we're actually going to talk about that today. What if we do exactly what the Scripture says and says, I recognize His voice. When I meet someone who is following the same great shepherd that I am, the true shepherd, I know because we hear the same things. You know one of the things I love about this church that I could not have possibly imagined before I got here is when when I have the privilege of standing up here serving you, preparing a meal and serving you on a Sunday or on a Wednesday... People come up to me inevitably after every service and they're like, these are my notes from prison this morning, Pastor Wade. This is what I preached today. Pastor Wade, this week I was reading John 10. Of of course you were. Because you're hearing the same God that I'm hearing. I now, this is crazy. I would have never thought that I'd be saying this to you. I actually expect it now. (laughs) I expect that you're hearing the same things that I am and then when I hear it and I say it on a Sunday, it comes alive in you because you're like, oh, I just thought maybe that was my thoughts. It's the shepherd speaking to me. So as we're doing this, let me, let me do this. I'm going to do this a little bit smaller than I want to. I'm going to show you the tribal encampment because I want to keep adding layers to it. Okay? So this first part is going to be a little smaller than, than what you may want. The tribal encampment. Okay? There's a gate. What side is the gate on? East, East side. Okay. Okay. All right, you're with me now. Okay, so the main tribe over here is Judah. Main tribe down here? Reuben. Main tribe here? Ephraim. Main tribe here? Dan. Everybody with me? Yes. Okay. What I saw here, we know that Judah means the praise of God. There are also other... There are also a few other tribes that are here on this side. It's Issachar. Sorry. That one is dying on me. We have... (laughs) And you can't see that one. Hey, we're going to get it. We're a family. It's all right. We have Issachar. And then we have Zebulun. And let's take a look at what these two mean. Issachar means reward. Zebulun means gift or dwelling place. You realize, by the way, as a church right now, um, we're we're basing our sermon today on Numbers chapter 2. Amen. That's, That's what we're doing. We're going to spend a lot of time in the New Testament today because our church is so familiar with the That nothing in the New Testament can be understood truly unless you understand the Older Testament. Amen? So we're going to spend time, but this is where we're establishing this. It's almost like that when we focus and we have praise as the main gate of our heart, if we do this the way that God has prescribed, right? What do we have here? We have the altar of sacrifice. We have a bronze labor, a place for us to wash. We come in, we have our hearts. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. Blood must be shed for you. Then we must wash as Pastor Eric has pointed out, there were dimensions that were given for this altar. It was very specific. We know what it will take for the sacrifice, for God to accept us. What we don't know is there's no measurement, there's no dimensions that were given for the, for the labor, how much we're supposed to wash and stay clean. We don't know how much that'll take, but we know that God has everything that we need. Amen? Yeah. Then we get into the Holy of Holies. And here we have the table of showbread, we have the menorah, and we have the altar of incense. And then in this place, we have the holy of holies, past the curtain. There's one way that's prescribed, folks. You know that if you've been here at all, you know that this is exactly what we've said to you every week, every service, every day, every time we come together, you know what? We're not going to stop. Because the world is trying to show you something. And this is the revelation that came to me. Is that this is the way that Jesus says to come in. That God has prescribed for us is that we enter this way. You can't skip steps. The truth is, is in my natural self, I like to skip steps. I like to look at some instructions and go, Okay, I can figure that out. I will now skip ahead. On a journey, I wish there was a skip ahead button. On my maps app on my phone. I can assure you that I never, ever put, please send me the longest way possible. Shortest way. Oh, there are tolls? Fantastic. I have to do what? I don't care. Get me there the shortest way possible. I like to take the short way. But that is antithetical. That is opposite of the way the kingdom works. If you try to get here to the Holy of Holies and you want to go some other direction that we're going to talk about here in a second... You will never find His presence. Here we have the praise. When we focus on the praise of God, doing it according to the standard, there is only one standard. What do we find? We find reward and a gift of His very dwelling place. This is what we find when we do it as an east side story. Let's keep going. We have Reuben. Reuben, his name means behold a son. Who else do we have here? We have Simeon. He is one who hears. And we have Gad. Dear Gad. We have troops and fortune. you know what happens when we focus only on our humanity? We focus only on our humanity. We try to get in not from the east side story, but we try to get in here from the south. When I focus only on the humanity of things, I only hear what I want to hear about my own troops, about my own fortune. I am no longer hearing what God wants me to hear. I have become self sufficient. Wow. If I try to enter from the south, I have the only thing that I am doing is I'm becoming self sufficient. Hey man, I got plenty. How can you do this? I got plenty of resources on my own, got enough intelligence. I mean, Clearly, I have enough good looks. I have enough money. Whatever it is, I got... It's really okay. Moving on. Ephraim. Ephraim means doubly blessed. Then we have Manasseh, which means forget. And Benjamin, which means the son of the right hand. You know what happens when we focus and try to enter from being doubly blessed? You forget the son who is seated at the right hand. Know no any, no any, I would say preachers, but I'm having a hard time saying it. Do you know any uh, church uh, communicators who focus so much on becoming doubly blessed in everything that they do? Let me fly in a $65 million jet. I mean, I don't want to be in a, in a tube with all of those heathens. Actual, literal transcriptions of what people have said. I just want to be doubly blessed, man. You see what I drive? Come on, man. Come on. You forget who's the son at the right hand. You know what this does? This produces a gospel of greed in you. What about Dan? Dan means one who judges. Who else is there? Asher, which means happy. And Naphtali, I know these are small words, but you guys stay with me. It means struggle. If you try to enter this way, you know what you become? You become a person who is struggling all the time between judgment and happiness. That's my definition of legalism. When you enter here, you have God's prescribed way. You enter in properly. You have the sacrifice. You wash in His presence. You fall in love with the Word. You desire His Spirit. You offer prayers to the Lord. You go through the veil that was torn because of the work of Jesus Christ, and you enter into the very presence of God where His throne is seated. The picture that I saw today was God seated on the throne with a gold receptacle, with a golden container that He was pouring His Spirit out on us this morning. This is the what we desire. Look what it produces when you do not enter the way that you are supposed to. Can you put up John 10 1 again on the screen for me, please? I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen, in this case the presence of God, but climbs in by some other way, is a robber and is a thief. And in this case, you're doing it to yourself. You guys may have known this before. (laughs) I did not read this in a book somewhere. I didn't Google it and say, let me see what I can find out to preach today. This is what God revealed to me. In a moment, he gave me this picture and I went, "Whoa! Whoa." if I try to enter any other way, either through self-sufficiency, greed, or even legalism, I want to talk about legalism for just a second. Actually, let me back up even from that. Here's what a wise person sitting in this room would do. And I encourage you to be wise. Do not presume and look at these things very quickly and decide that you are none of these, but you are on the Judah side. If you do not let the Word of God actually provide a mirror to your soul and to your spirit and actually judge yourself rightly against the Word of God, what you will do is say, oh, that's not me. Well, maybe a little bit, but that's not me. I'm not greedy. Oh, it must be that I'm in Judah. I want to challenge you. Um, In John ten one, if we can put, if we can just put it up on the screen, leave it on the screen for a minute. Can I give you the context of this? This is the beginning of a chapter. Yes. Yes. But if you will look at the previous chapter in chapter nine, if you have your Bibles right there, look in chapter nine and look in verse forty and forty one. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious rulers. You know what we like to do with the Scripture? We like to make it about us and them. The saved and the non-saved. The Christian and the world. You know why? Because you can quickly dismiss it if you think it's the world and go, this no longer applies to me. Done. If you are in a habit of quickly dismissing the Scripture, you are in error, my friend. You are in danger. And I'm here to sound a warning for you this morning. You cannot get in a habit of dismissing the word thinking that it does not directly apply to you and think that God will be pleased with you. Perhaps you're more self-sufficient than you think, and yet you cannot even judge yourself properly. Perhaps we're more greedy than we think, but we're not able to judge ourselves properly. Let me talk about legalism for just a minute. We'll expound upon these things as, as time goes on today. I can speak to legalism because I grew up legalistic. I grew up in a church where things like, I mean, I'm slightly over-exaggerating, but I grew up under the impression if you smelled alcohol, it's the same as just about you murdered somebody. I mean, it was horrible. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? All three have to be bad. I'm just telling you how we grew up. This is, this is the perception. But you know what I found out? That when I'm legalistic, you know what I'm really trying to do? Is I'm trying to disqualify everybody. When I was young, actually, um, my wife, I've known my wife since we were 12. For me, that's been 30 years. But since she topped that at 29, then I guess it's just 29 years, right? I've known her since I was 12. And you know what? When we first got together, when we first started knowing each other and becoming friends, um, she didn't like me. Um, in high school, um, she didn't like me very much. Her dad actually did not like... Bob did not like me at all. I'll have to tell you more. And, and let, me, let me tell you this. Then she finally got saved. No, no, no. What, what happened was... I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. She's not even here to defend herself. That's just mean. Let me me give you a little secret. She was right. Because what I was, was I was an arrogant young man. Because I was trying to define my holiness by what I did not do. And I had a long list of that which I did not do. And I could stack my list up against most other people and feel pretty good about myself. So therefore, because of my insecurity in Christ... I came off and I was arrogant. I had to let you know what I knew. You know why? Because if you didn't know that I knew something, then it almost like I didn't know it. And I needed you to do that because I didn't want to be disqualified and I wanted you to see that. But you know what I found out? The older I got, it became less about me trying to disqualify other people as God began to work on my heart. You know what legalism changed to in me? I began to disqualify myself. We think of the legalism as disqualifying everybody else. That's the easy version. I'm just going to give you the insider scoop in case you don't know. I began to disqualify myself. I began to find ways that God could not use me. What must be easy for, for Pastor Matt. But for me, it's almost like I was struggling between judgment and trying to find happiness in Christ. I kept vacillating back and forth. I would have a great day and I seemed to accomplish what I thought that God wanted of me. And the next day wasn't as good. It wasn't as emotional. It wasn't as powerful. And I, I was down upon myself. And I said, God surely cannot use somebody like me. So I went from arrogant to crushed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's all that I did. I was in a legalistic state. And because I wasn't shining it upon you, I could not comprehend. But what I found out, what I'm finding out because of what God has revealed to us, it is my greatest joy, it is our greatest joy as pastors of this church to share everything we have with you. We want to say, guys, there's one gate. Please come to the right gate. This is what it looks like to come to the wrong gate because if you don't know what it looks like, you may think that you're okay and you may be in a very, very bad place. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Stay with me here, folks. This is going to get good here in a second. It's good now. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. One of the things that I love about a true revelation from God is that you can't help, you almost, it almost, um, you start seeing it in everything you look at. Over the past few days, everywhere I turn, I'm not going to do it today, but I think I could, I think I have a pretty strong. Uh, a way to even tie in our political situation to this model right now. You're going to have to come back later and and see what we do with that. But I started seeing it everywhere. I can't help it. I'm seeing it. And what we have here in Matthew chapter 7 is this. Let's start in verse 1. Do not judge. Well, there you have it. You can't judge me. Hmm. I don't think that's what it means. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a very simple, uh, just sharing what my mind's eye sees when I, when I hear things like this. If I have a small little Dixie cup full of forgiveness, I mean uh, full of, of I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find the right mind of the Lord and so I want to use a Dixie cup for judgment. God takes that same cup and says, okay, that's what I'll use. If I love judging other people, have a big old container that I have to wheel around on a cart. Okay, fine. That's, that's, that's the amount of judgment that you want to use? Let's do this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You shouldn't judge at all. Is that what it says? Nope. Okay, I'm just, y'all got to stay with me now. Kind of tricky like that. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Quit trying to enter in the wrong way. First, come in the right way, and then what happens? You will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's look down at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. The east side story. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few that find it. Um, <laughs> you guys may not know this about me. This is the fun part about a family um, is that many of you know in school I studied, I was a music educator and, and did all that good stuff. Actually, just recently... Uh, acquired a new skill I really did it, it's, it's called Pedology Not a podiatrist Not for feet um, Not pediatrics for kids um, This is, this is a, an ologist A scientist who understands soil Don't get mad at me Don't be jealous because as many times as the temple of God, of the tabernacle of God would move around in the desert for 40 years, you know what? I can tell you what soil was on each side. I can do it. Pedology. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. A pedologist will take a sample of the soil, dig deep to get at the heart of the soil, and and, and examine it and be able to tell people exactly what the content of the soil is. Matthew. Chapter 13, let's look at verse 1. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked out, the, choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. Everybody say good soil. Good soil. Where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has an ear, let him hear. Is there anyone in this church right now, seriously? If you've you've been a Christian at all for very long, you've heard the story of the four soils. Has there ever been a time in your life where you really sat there and were like, you know what? I think I'm the rocky soil. If you're honest, you have. But after a while in Christianity, you know which one you're supposed to be. I'm supposed to say to everyone that I'm the good soil. If you're the good soil, then you know what you're going to produce? A hundred, sixty, or thirty fold. Amen. There's no way that you can be good soil and in the end of this thing not produce thirty, sixty, or hundredfold. That is, by definition, what makes it good soil. Let's take a look in our in our model here that we have. We have three different types of soil. <laughs> we have a rocky soil. When you're, when you're trying to get in through this northern gate, through this struggling between being happy and judging things, you know what happens? Is you have a rocky soil for a heart. You're the one that can easily bend down and at any moment you can pick up a rock and throw it at somebody. You can easily... It's, it's always available. You know why? Because you, you don't even have to dig very hard. Just swipe in a little dirt and you're going to find a rock and you're going to start throwing it at people. Because I've got to disqualify you Or I'm going to take a rock and hit myself with it because I'm trying to disqualify me. This is the soil that is apparent, and somehow every every day in the in the in the wilderness when they stopped on the north side, it was always rockiness. What about the west side? Everybody say west side. side. Okay, just checking, just making sure you're with me. We have the thorny ground. What happens there? Huh? Things get choked out, you say? It's almost like you begin to forget the son who's seated at the right hand. It's amazing. You get these thorny, this thorny ground. Everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's start in verse 7. land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. This land, though it seems to have some growth, in the end it will prove to be a land of thorns and it will be burned for what it is, uselessness. If you have not been here in the last few weeks, or rather if you have, I invite you to go back and listen again to many sermons that we've done lately. Pastor Eric has done several. uh, Paul's Thorns and Grace is one that you need to listen to, and several other sermons recently have talked about an an entire theology of thorns. We have Game of Thorns that was just a few weeks ago as well. There are several sermons, and I want to encourage you in this. This is an incredible teaching that has come forth in this church. What about this? The self-sufficient. What is this? This is the hard soil. Hard soil. What, What makes it hard? Because it's been trampled underfoot. There are many who are on this path who are stomping it down. What happens? The seed can't even really get in because we are so full of ourselves That we have no place to be full of Him. We're full of our own thoughts. We're full of our own sufficiency. We were hearing because we're only focused on our humanity. We're only hearing about what our fortune and what our arms can accomplish. That's all that we hear in this model here. And then obviously over here we have the good soil. Which takes us back to doing it exactly the way God says. It's good soil. You cannot bypass the sacrifice. It's the very thing that allows you to enter. You enter in His gates with praise and you understand that it costs it cost Him His blood for you to stand in His place. How dare we treat lightly what God has given His Son's very life for? Have you started thinking less of God's sacrifice and more of your own sufficiency? How many zeros in your bank account does it take for you to feel comfortable? Mine's easy because it's just zero. <laughs> Three, I guess. One on one side of the decimal and two on the other. <laughs> is there a number? Do you, do you have a savings account? Okay, so in your savings account, is there a number that once it drops below that, you start getting tense? Yeah. Do, you, do you watch your... 50, do you watch your retirement accounts? Do, do you, are you worried about that bottom line? Now, come on, pastor. I mean, you got to be real, right? I mean, we need money to live. Do you? Are we just excusing ourselves for saying, we're going to enter in from the south gate and it's okay by me, pastor? I'm going to tell you that if you have sufficiency in anything other than Christ. You are trying to enter in by the wrong gate. That's a good word. Come on. I love my church because we're not willing to compromise and just say there is a standard, there is a way. We're not saying it's impossible. We're saying that you have to yield yourself to do it exactly how he said that proves you have good soil. Otherwise, you have something else in you and you're trying to claim it as good soil. This was written to the church people, folks. This was written to the people of God. Not saved, lost, lost, lost by our terminology. This was written to save, 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 saved. Are you going to stay saved, stay saved, save, 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 saved saved or not? That's the question. Don't let yourself off the hook thinking that the Scripture always is talking to someone else and never talking to you. Let's go on. Let's move on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. No, I can't leave that one yet. We've got go to we gotta go to Jeremiah 17 first. We've we got to do this first. This is too good. Everybody say it's too good. too good. Scripture is too good to skip it. Jeremiah chapter 17. Let's start in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. <laughs> Can you look up here for just a second? Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Wow. Huh. Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord because that's what this always does. Each of these, when you try to enter the wrong direction, it will turn your heart away from God it can't do anything but turn your heart away from God. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. Probably an acacia. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. You know what the problem with self-sufficiency is? You're holding on so stinking hard to what you can do. You're missing out. And the truth is, is in the end, you're going to be holding on to air. You're going to try to grab a hold of things and say, no, I can do this by the strength of my own arm. How's that working out for you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you just thought you could just grab it? Isn't that what the world teaches? But pastor, you don't know. You you haven't faced the difficulty that I have. I know what scripture says. But pastor, you don't know the discrimination that I've come across. I know what the word of God says. I'm going to presume that my culture, my upbringing my gender, my thoughts, everything is secondary to the Word of God. When I put myself on the throne and I think that anything else, I'm an American. Well, praise God. I celebrate that with you. We have many nationalities represented here. We're Tanzanian and we're beautiful. We are from the Ivory Coast. We're from Ecuador and Honduras. We are from all over the globe in this room. We're from Egypt and and. Our Swiss Miss. And even Louisiana. The country of Louisiana. Don't hate me. I, come on. If your nationality, if your color, if your gender, if your body type, if your preferences you put above the Word of God, you are living in idolatry. word. Verse 7, but blessed, everybody say blessed, blessed, is the man who trusts in the Lord. Huh. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in Him. See, I don't have confidence in myself. Maybe you do. I, I told you I come from this end, right? I can, I can, I can get on you about this because I'm up here somewhere. Blessed is the man whose confidence is in the Lord. You know what happens when my confidence is in the Lord? I'm not self-sufficient because my confidence is in Him. You know what happens when my confidence is in the Lord? I'm not worried about the things that I have because all I want is His presence in my life. I am thirsty and I'm hungry for His presence. I don't care about anything else. I just want Him. I don't need to see His hands bless me. I want to see His face be by me. This is what this causes. When I, when I really trust in the Lord, you know what it does? I'm no longer looking to see who I can disqualify. I'm saying, Lord, I trust in You because You judge rightly. And you know what? I have such joy now. I have such joy. I'm not worried about who needs to be disqualified and whether I'm qualified or not. I trust that He says that I'm qualified. And as I walk in obedience and show my love to Him, I can stay in His favor and I find happiness in my life. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Do you need confidence today? There are some of us in this room that are sorely lacking confidence. And I don't just mean try harder. I mean, you don't understand. You've disqualified yourself for so long you can't even figure out how to be qualified anymore. When someone tells you that you're qualified because of the Word, you laugh at them and you don't even hide it anymore. As a pastor, you're saying, I think you're lying to me. That's how I read that. Hey, but the Word of God says this. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yes, of course, I forgot. You're the exception to Jesus. He understands the rest of the universe, but He can't figure you out? You're that complicated. Your situation is that unique. I mean, the Word of God, I mean, it's true. I mean, praise God. His words are right. They're just not right with me because I don't feel like they're right. Oh, okay. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its its roots by the stream. It does not fear. Everybody say, it does not fear. It does not fear. It does not fear when heat comes. Are you afraid when the heat gets turned up in your life? Then this scripture isn't you yet. Let's just be honest with it and let's get this to be you. Your your confidence isn't fully in him yet. Your trust isn't fully in him. You're trusting in something else. Because when you do trust in him, you don't fear. Brother, that's not I'm saying that perfect love in Christ casts out all fear. I can do it, I can we can do this all day from the older and the newer testament. Don't tell me why your fear is okay. You're lying to yourself and you're listening to the fear that's barking in your ear. Its leaves are always green. Everybody say always green. Always green. You understand that it's not just easier for some people than others, right? Well, it's just easier for Pastor Eric because of. No. You're trying to excuse yourself from following the same God that he follows. It's just easier for Justin because he's just so stinking good looking. It's just easy. Should have got a name in from you on that one, man. <laughs> right? It's just easier for some people. That is the most. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If only I were this. No, that's a lie. Because you'll always be chasing the other thing instead of looking to Him. Because your leaves will always be green if you do this right. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Let's turn to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter 4. It matters to me that everybody in the room gets this. It matters to me. I am not a person who loses sleep as a general rule. I believe in the scriptures that say that God grants sleep to those he loves. When I go to bed at night, I I sleep just fine. Thank you very much. You know what causes me to lose sleep though? When I'm praying for you guys. I worry, I, I turn, I toss and I turn. I may get to sleep easy enough, but I wake up five, seven, ten times a night and I'm thinking about you. Lord, are they going to get it? Lord, you got to do something because you've given me a gift to teach. Thank you, Lord. But this, these things require more than just a gift of teaching. It requires more than a board. It requires divine impartation to your people, Lord. Lord, would you give them what they need? Lord, would you please give them what they need? Would you cause it to explode in their hearts and change the way they think, Lord? This has, got to, this has got to get down into us. Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> I love the word. He fasted for 40 days. And lest you think that he had an exemption to the humanity that he had, well, Jesus did it and it was easy. Come on, man. Really. Dude was hungry. You, you would have thought that he could have eaten, had the fast, then eaten, and then encountered the devil. No, that's not how this thing works. If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, "It is written." Everybody say, it is written. "It is written." I love my church because of this. Every church that I've ever been in has said that the Bible was the should be the center of your life. Every church that I've been in. I feel like this church does it the best that actually makes the word of God centric to every decision we make. Hey, the word of God is central. God told me this. Do you have a scripture that shows you for a direction in your life? Something important in your life? For us for my family, the Sutherland family, to move in with the Stevens, God gave me two different passages of scripture that clearly told me that. Amen. And I knew it. And there were other opportunities and other things, and, and the pastor part of me wants to, to put my, my own needs behind someone else and go, well, it probably helped them. And I, went, I did the opposite with, with Pastor Eric and Jen. I said, This makes me feel like I'm selfish, and God told me this, and we can't do it any other way. They agreed we were not in, in conflict with one another, but I knew what I was supposed to do, even if it meant even if it meant that somebody else would be homeless that 's a weird thing for me to say that 's uh, no that 's not how it 's going to happen, and that 's the way I was that firm because the Word of God it is written: man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God <laughs> so here we have. We have this idea of stones to bread. Come on, man. Don't you, have, you have enough on your own. I, we got the resources we need. Don't worry about it. Look, I know where I'm going. Um, honey, you're lost. No, I promise I know where I'm going. If I just keep driving, I've got enough in myself to figure this out. Why don't you just stop and ask for directions? Why? Because you've got enough on your own. Wow. That's the problem with this. Take a look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. From Psalm 91. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, You know what happens? Hey, man, let's take you up high and let's get you to be able to throw, throw yourself down low. We have the high-low problem again with this legalism. One day I'm good, the next day I'm terrible. I'm at the heights of the world, but I've been cast down. Throw yourself down. Come on, Jesus. What does it say? What is Jesus' response besides, it is written? It is written... Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. You know what you do when you walk around trying to disqualify everybody? Or trying to disqualify yourself? You are putting God to the test. You're saying, look, I know that you're the divine ruler and all, but I'm going to try to figure this all out by myself. No, really, I got it. I'm going to figure it out. And what you do is you put him to the test. (laughs) We're basically saying, God would have to throw himself down in front of us We'd rather have that than Him just answer us in the first place. Take a look at verse 8. Again, the devil took Him up on a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, He said, if you will bow down and worship Me. Come on, Jesus. Come on, you know you want the kingdoms of this world. Bow down and worship Me. Come on. everything you could ever want everything your heart could ever desire i mean really isn't that what we're all trying to get to is a place where we can just coast through the rest of our life i mean isn't that why you work hard from the time that you're of working age until the time of your retirement age is so that you can have enough in the bank account you can have enough zeros in the right place for your 401k that it's, it's going to be okay and that way you can just relax and enjoy except that it takes away our need for him. We're trying to get into his presence. We're trying to get over a gate. We're trying to get over a wall that he set up. Away from me, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. I don't need a retirement account. I don't need a bank account. (laughs) It's not doing much anyway. What I need is Jesus Christ at work in my life. What I need is his presence. And he's given me the right way to do it. I don't have to come in the wrong way. I can come in because it's an east side story. And I will come in and every time I'm reminded of his goodness. And every time I'm reminded of his presence. And every time I'm reminded of his word. And every time I'm reminded of his sacrifice. And you know what that does? That keeps me pure before him. I want to become more and more mature, and I want to stay with the heart like a small child. Does that typify your walk? When was the last time that God, I'm going to say this in a very colloquial way, when was the last time you got messed up in your heart because God brought to you and reminded you about a sin? When was the last time that God? you just got, God, you were crushed Because of the thing that you said to somebody, to your wife, to an employee, to an employer. God, when was the last time that you just came and you had to go, God, I feel like I'm starting over again, Lord. This is not the way this is supposed to be. Isn't it supposed to get easier the further I go in Christ? Isn't it supposed to get easier? I just want it to be easier, Lord. I just want to figure it out on my own, Lord. Lord, do I have to be so, so in need of you? Do I have to be so dependent on you, mighty God? Yes. Yes, you do. Of course you do. And here's where we get in trouble. Because we can see this on a board. We can nod up and down. And we turn around and we go out and live a life that says, Lord, more comfort for me. My prayer, Lord. These three things I pray. (laughs) That you will come upon me, Lord. Again and again. Because really, I don't like the tension. I don't like the way it feels to have to come to the east side. I'm a little closer to the uh, west side, Lord. Lord, my family, we're close to the north. It'd be much nicer if we could just perhaps make a little doorway there for me. It's not the way that this works, folks. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15, I mean, we don't want to make it too easy on, I mean, we don't want to make it too difficult on people, so maybe we have multiple campuses. Maybe we, maybe maybe that's what we ought to do. We're going to have a campus since uh, everybody at 14220 Park Row, we have half of, you know, our church that lives there now, we're just going to do a campus, it'll be the north campus. Yeah, we're trying to find way after way to remove the sacrifice from our life to enter into His presence some other way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Oh, amen, Pastor. Amen. We know we're not supposed to love the world. Or anything in the world. All right, Pastor, now you're getting a little excessive. Don't love the world. Am, am I... Am I losing you guys? No, I'm sorry, I could, I could try to do some gymnastics for you, but then you would just laugh at me and I'd be hurt. Or when you read this, do you do the same thing that my heart does? Do not love the world? or Amen. Or anything in the world? Ooh. Ooh. The first one is so general and so big, it feels like it's much easier to accomplish. When it says anything and it gets down to a specific level, I'm like, oh God, do I really? Can I say that? that I don't love the world, okay, amen, or anything in the world. I mean, come on, Lord, there's some neat stuff. Anything in the worldly system? If anyone loves the world, or anything in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Next verse. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, When I was walking around in a legalistic state, you know what I had? I had a constant craving for people to approve of me. That's what made me so arrogant. I had to tell you what I did right so that you would approve of me. God, such brokenness. It's such a wrong way to think and live. I had this craving for someone to validate me. Would somebody please validate me? Because I don't really feel validated. Would someone else tell me? That's a craving of sinful man. <laughs> the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Everything I see, i got to go after. <laughs> or the pride of life. Wow. The boastings. Let me, I'm sorry, I went King James on everybody there. The boastings of what I have. The boastings of what I have and what I do. <laughs> the boastings of what I have. I got it, bruh. I got it. Turn to John chapter 5. Let's go to verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. By the way, Jesus is giving you this answer today. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing By himself. He's the Son of God. Deity in human form. He can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever he sees the Father doing, the only pathway that he can go is the pathway that God Almighty has laid out. Even for Jesus. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. We're going to skip down 10 verses. And it says this, By myself, this is still Jesus speaking, by myself I can do nothing. Have you gotten to the point finally in your life where you figured out that you can't do anything? Not just some things, that you can't do much. I'm saying that you can do nothing without Him. That there is no goodness in and of ourselves. That what only thing that we are supposed to do is to reflect how He feels, how He thinks, what He wants us to say, what He wants us to do, where He wants us to go. That's the only thing that we're allowed to do. Only thing. If you're on the wrong side of this in your heart, all you hear is restriction. The truth is, is I'm longing for this more and more because I'm finding great freedom in it. I don't have to be smart enough. Oh, God, thank you. I don't have to have the right amount of resources to do what he's asking me to do. But, Pastor, we have a big vision. This church does more than any church that I know. Starting other churches continents, we are, we are touching the globe. We're impacting the globe everywhere we go, whether, whether in, in the prison house on Sunday morning, whether, whatever it is, we are making an impact. But Lord, we don't, have to, we don't even have to be smart enough. We don't have to have the resources. We just need you. And if, you, if we do what you tell us to do, the resources will be there. Well, Pastor, how does that work? I don't know. I've kind of banked my whole life on this principle right here. We came on full-time as a, as a pastor, as a family, to join two others. I'm basing my whole life on this principle. I got plenty stored up. I'll be good for a little while. By the way, if you hadn't, you know, tithes and offerings right now. But, you know, I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to... We're so serious about this, we don't pass an offering plate in our church. Yeah, right. yeah. We say it's over there. You do what you're supposed to do. Because you know what we're not going to do? You know what I'm not going to do? You know what Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric aren't going to do? We're not going to know how much you give. You know why? Because we want to be able to preach God's word. And if you don't like it and you need to go, well, then you go ahead and go. Amen. We're not, we're not going to beg anybody to stay. Amen. You think you're going to buy us? You think you're going to buy me by giving an offering? There's only one way in. Give your offering. Don't give your offering. My family will be fine. Because I'm trusting in the Lord. Yeah. I'll be fine. Now you, on the other hand, for not being obedient. <laughs> Something you might want to think about. Let's turn back to John chapter 10 as we get ready to close. <clears throat> Are you all staying with me? Yes. Yeah. God, the, the truth is is that normally as a church, we run, we run through both Pastor Eric and me and whoever gets up here. It is normal for us to go through 30, 40, 50 passages of, passages of Scripture. That is not unheard of for us. It's a very normal thing. These are designed to be starting points for you to be able to think through things in a different way. I could list 10 scriptures for each subpoint of this. But what I'm trying to do is build in you a picture and understanding a revelation. I'm trying to somehow communicate what God showed me in a flash, like a picture. And I'm trying to communicate it to you over the course of a confined amount of time that says, um, guys, there's one way. And it's dangerous because some of these... Well, let's just say I'm in the South Camp. I'm in Reuben, right? I focus on the humanity. I mean, after all, we all just need grace, right? You know what sometimes is very difficult is for us to assess ourselves properly. I can look at you, I can look at you and put you in a category very quickly. I can, I can think about your family. And I can think of places where you may have good soil and where something else may be creeping in. I can do that. Not because I want to, because God has given me, along with these other men and their families, a responsibility to shepherd you. And any good shepherd will know his sheep. But you know what's hard for me to do? Is figure out where I am sometimes. I can look at you and have crystal clarity in what I think. I can lay it out there like a ninja. And myself be walking around with the plank that we read earlier in Matthew 7. Kung Fuing you about your little speck in your eye. How about you? Is it easy to look at us? We live we live in a glass house, basically. We live on the second floor of the Stephenland home, the Sutherland home. And there's a big window, by the way. So when you come upstairs, when you get up and you come out of the room that we're staying in and I walk across the little living room area, I mean, it is a big picture window. It's a second floor, but I, for me, it's just right in front of my face. And you know what it does is every day, multiple times a day, I'm like, amen, thank you, Lord, that I'm living in a glass house. Here we are. Here we are. This, this is really what I am. I stand before you today not being able to hide behind any pulpit, not being able to hide behind any, um, any measure of success that any of the world, that anyone in the world would care about. I stand before you and I say, amen. Um, how much are you looking at us and going, Oh, well, Pastor lacks in this. Oh, this Pastor lacks in that. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's as you've said. I lack in every area that you can possibly imagine. But you know what I am going to do? And I'm going to do this before you. And I'm going to do this with you. And I'm going to encourage you to do it. Is say that there is one way. It is through this gate of praise. And I will walk this the right way. I may not do anything else well in my whole life. But if I do this, then I am a success in Christ. And I want you to do it as well. But it doesn't happen if we're deceived by this. This is all somebody else. It's not me. No, it's you. No, it's me. In John chapter 10. Let's start in verse (laughs) 6. Remember what we said earlier. Jesus says, hey, there's only one way in. Verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech. Everybody say figure of speech. But they did not understand what he was telling them. He used an example like this. And people went, I don't get it. So it's clearly not a lack of teaching because it was Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's look at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Does God have to do this to you? He has to do this to me. He says stuff and I'm like, eh, I think I got it. Okay, wait, say it again. One more time. Verse 9. I am the gate. (laughs) Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters here, Jesus is saying, I am the gate. That's me. Right there. Talmudim and the door is a fantastic sermon from last November, I think. Last November. Check it out from our podcast or from our, from our app to get the sermons. Goes into the Jesus being the gate in an incredible way. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Look at this. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10 we're very familiar with. I am The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Huh. He only comes in. What are you worried about if you're greedy? You're worried about being stolen from? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to die here and not even know it. This kind of thinking is going to destroy you. It's a good word, Pastor. It's going to destroy you every time. It's going to make you double-minded. James 1 talks about, you're like children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. An unstable man. You're double-minded. You're going to be unstable in everything you do. Which one are you? Which one am I? Look back at verse 9 again. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Stay right where you are. Um, Joy, can you put up um, Numbers twenty seven seventeen for me for just a moment? It says this. Can you go to 16 maybe? Thank you. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind. This is Moses prophesying. Okay? Moses. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. John ten nine. since you're there, uh, leave this scripture on the screen, Joy. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Moses says that he will appoint someone to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. It's almost like there's perfect continuity in the scripture from Numbers and Moses speaking all the way to Jesus speaking in John 10. Back in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. (laughs) This is how they would do it. They would have an encampment. A good shepherd would have his sheep tucked away on the inside and he would lay his own body down as the gate. You're not getting through here unless you get through me. That is what a good shepherd is. That is what the great shepherd did for us is he laid his life down as the door, as the gate. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know what we have in many churches today? A lot of hired hands. They got hired through some service, through some agency, with no connection to the people there. They travel across the world. They travel across the country. You get flown in have these special weekends, and they hire you because you're a hired gun. What skill do you have? I'm pretty good at this. I can hang out with kids, really well. I can do the married ministry stuff. You're a hired hand, man. Isn't it? To portray a hired hand, I have to physically act like I'm arrogant, right? You've got to have a swagger. You know what a shepherd never has to do? Why? Well, because he's laying his life down. This, this, this next few scriptures blew me away this week. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. He says it again, in case we've forgotten in the last two verses... He's saying it again. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This next verse, I read this this week and burst into tears. The reason my father loves me is that I lay my life down. I've read this passage five hundred times. You know what I thought of in the moment? The reason my father loves me, this is Jesus speaking. He doesn't say, The reason my father loves me is because I'm his son. It's because I'm incredibly anointed. It's because I can do in fantastic miracles. Jesus' words is that the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. And the reason that tears came to my eyes then, the reason that they come to my eyes now, is because I want the Father to love me for the same reason. I don't want to be so self-sufficient. Never will a self-sufficient person lay down their life. Good God, never will a greedy person lay down their life. They might lay down your life to get what they want. I'm too busy being disqualified. I'm not worthy to lay down my life. I praise you, my God. I count it the biggest offering of my life that I can lay down my life before you. It is a reward and it is a gift for your sacrifice mighty one I thank nothing of myself I lay down my life because what I want my father to say to me is well done good and faithful servant I don't need him to look at me as an accomplished anything I will be a slave for him I will be a servant for him but this is not what we teach today turn to 2 Timothy 4 Second Timothy four, and verse three. I've got one more level here. I've actually got two more levels, and I'm gonna do it really quick. So stay with me. I think this is gonna be a blessing to your life. Amen. Second Timothy chapter four and verse one. It's uh, let's go to. I'm sorry. Let's start in verse one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Incredible. And in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Everybody say, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Not just preach your thoughts. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You know how you're prepared for whatever may come? <laughs> you stay in the Word and you have the power of the Spirit. Correct. Everybody say, correct. correct. Rebuke. Everybody say, rebuke. rebuke. Encourage. Encourage. Okay, we're going to do it again. I'm going to say the words and you're going to repeat them after me. Okay? We got really weak on the rebuke there. I caught it. And so did you. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Correct. Rebuke. Rebuke. Encourage. Encourage. If you can't do all three with the same veracity in your heart, then you have a heart issue. If you only like the encourage, but not the correct and rebuke, then you're not getting the full counsel of God's word in you. You've got some other things going on in here and you're just not willing to admit it. If you can't say with surety Psalm 141.5, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let a righteous man rebuke me. It is oil upon my head. My head will not refuse it. Then you're not yet mature enough. You're not nearly as mature as you think you are. You don't have to agree. That was good. With great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. They're not going to put up with it. You know where we are today, ladies and gentlemen? (laughs) The time has come. Like Jesus, right? In John 4, He's saying, there's a time coming and has now come. I'm going to add that here. I'll take some pastoral license. For the time will come and has come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know what we haven't included in this picture yet? The priests. When we talk about it, uh, I'm getting familiar enough now, and in my mind's eye, I think I can do all 12. I kind of know where everybody's placed. I know the big picture. You know what's an interesting thing we're going to add to this level? Is where the priests are. Because if people are listening and wanting teachers and preachers and pastors to tell them what their itching ears are going to desire, it looks different for each of these groups. In the north, we have Marari. You know what their name means? You know what his name means? It means sad and bitter. What? What? If you're walking around in this, is this not what you stay in a constant state of? Yes. You're trying to fight for these other things, but the truth is, is it just makes you sad because you're not enough or it makes you bitter because nobody's good enough. It's true. What about Gershon on the West? His name means exile. Exile. Nobody can serve God and money. Nobody. You can't do it. You will be exiled from His very presence if you live this kind of life. No matter how much the phony preachers on TV, I can't even call them uh, preachers of the prosperity gospel because it is not the gospel. These prosperity preachers are heading for exile. Let's, let's look down in the south. Who do we have? We have Coath. And this means the assembly. <laughs> the assembly. You know what really works when you're in self-sufficient land? You're always going to have plenty of people to hang out with you. You can build a big old crowd. You, can, you know what? I'll tell you what. We can, let's build an arena for the church. You know why? Because we need so much space because we have plenty of assembly. We have, pl- we, we have so many people. I mean, that's clearly the mark of success in the kingdom. is all the external factors. Huh? Or, what you have over here is Moses. You know what Moses' name means? Drawn out. We have to be drawn out of this worldly system. We have to be taken out. You can't go through your own assembly. But there's lots of people who think this. Yep, and then they're all wrong. That's right. You're going to be in exile if you do this. You're going to have such sad and bitter times that you won't even be able to understand it. And you think all the while, there's a, 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 a movie, and it talked about, yeah, you know the Christians? The Christians over there? You know which ones I'm talking about. The really sad miserable ones. Yeah. Oh, Or we could be the ones that are drawn out. We could be the ones that have been sanctified. We could be the ones that are so diligent that says that, Lord, we trust that all of your ways are right. You are perfect. All your judgments are just and true. We will do it exactly the way that you say. We will not deviate because you are worth it. You are the ones that made the rules and we follow your rules. We do not get to choose these things. I've got one more passage of Scripture. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Let's start in verse 11. Revelation 5, 11. Everybody there? Amen. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. By the way, this establishment with having Judah as the lion having Reuben as the face of a man, having Ephraim the face of an, or the, of an ox face, and then Dan as an eagle. You know what this is the picture? It's the picture of what's going on in the heavenly realm. God told Moses to do it exactly according to the pattern that He showed them. Their placement was not by chance. It was because God told them to. You know why? Because this was supposed to establish us a very throne room on the earth. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. This is what this is supposed to be setting up. It's set up this way when we enter the way that he tells us to. When we try to enter another way, it doesn't work, but does that mean that God's plan is flawed? Let's see what Revelation 5 means, or what it says about the way that this is supposed to turn out when we enter through the east side story. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures on the elders. Verse 12. In a loud voice they sang. In a loud voice. There's no timidity here. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. If you cannot exclaim that with your heart in the midst of anyone, anywhere, anytime, then this is not yet where you're ready for. Worthy is the Lamb that who was slain to receive power and wealth to receive wisdom and strength and honor and glory And huh, Praise. worthy is the lamb who was slain. He did this right. He deserves us doing it the right way. Amen. Worthy. Because all of this is trying to get at. You know what's good? Is that when we're, when we're doing this the right way, when we've entered, you know what God doesn't have a problem with? Giving us power and wealth. Why? Because that's not our focus. We haven't negated everything else. We've gone through this and we're so in love with Him that you know what He adds to it? What did He do with Solomon? Lord, I just need wisdom to lead Your people. Then I'll give you everything else too. When you seek His face, He provides for you in a way that you don't have to lose your relationship with Him over. Wisdom, power and wealth. Wisdom and strength. You know what's the problem with our thinking? We're so double-minded, but you know what he wants to give us when we enter this the right way? You know what is waiting there? His righteous judgments. Amen. He can judge rightly for us. He can tell us what we're supposed to think. He can tell us how to go. Lord, this is really, really touchy. I don't quite know what to say. I don't quite know what to do. But Lord, you judge everything. Lord, I will let you struggle with that. And this is, I'm gonna, all of my struggle is, is to listen to what you're judging and it will make me happy. This I can do this. There will be wisdom and strength there. There will be honor and glory. What does a self-sufficient person want? Honor and glory for themselves. You know what the Lord says? I've got that for you. The ridiculousness of Satan trying to tempt Jesus with what would be his in the long run is absolutely ludicrous, except it's not. Jesus, if you'll just shortcut the right way to do this, I'll give you these other things. Jesus couldn't take a shortcut. How dare we think that we can take a shortcut to His righteousness? (laughs) Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. praise. He has shown us what is right. He has shown us what He's required of us. What does the Lord require? That we act justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with Him. It has to be shown in what we do. (laughs) I could go on, but I think Revelation 5 gives it to us in the clearest picture possible. When we try to do these things on our own, look what it yields it yields self sufficiency, a hard soil stones that we think we can turn into bread, mere boastings, an assembly of people who may be around us, but we lose the honor and the glory. When we try to do it our own way, we end up being greedy and thorny and lustful and exiled from His presence. When we try to do it our own way, we just get legalistic. We disqualify others. We disqualify ourselves. We have a rocky heart. We're ready to throw ourselves down or throw other people down and we live in sadness and bitterness. There's no way we walk with his wisdom and strength. That's why the church plays so many games. There's no wisdom, there's no strength, there's no power or wealth, there's no honor and glory because there's definitely not praise because they've exchanged the praise of the God who is of over all creation and they exchange it for something else that looks more like them. Wow. What about you today? Are you ready to be drawn out? I'm not going to ask you that if one of these areas relates to you. I'm going to say that when we get ready to worship the Lord here in just a minute, what I need you to do is focus on coming in the right way here. And how do you know if you're coming in the right way? Because the outcome has already been told to you. There is true praise of God in the highest. There is wisdom and strength that adorns you. There is power and wealth. All the provision that you can need is there because of Him. I don't search it, I don't search for it at all. And you want to know how much worry I have in my life? None about financial stuff. That's on Him. Honor. And glory, they are His. Would you stand to your feet with me?